Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments, and uh, I know that you're still following me on the Facebook page, and get brave. Mm -hmm. Write me a comment. I won't give you a full name. So uh, anyway, now on our last podcast, we did continue discussing Jim's dinner engagement with Marlo. And we got close to finishing chapter eight, but we just didn't quite make it. Now, today, what we want to do is we want to continue that discussion. We are going to finish chapter eight, guaranteed, and we're going to get through chapter nine. That's my plan. So we'll, we'll see how good of a planner I am. Now, thankfully, my partner in literature is here with me in the studio today. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's always good to have you. Now, as I said over the last several podcasts, there's much to unpack in these early chapters. And so I thought that I would just ask my sweet wife to begin this afternoon. And uh, let's pick up where we left off. And I think you have a few comments you probably want to start start oh, with. Okay. Well, we the last thing we said was by, was by how that that um, Marlowe was really amazed. He, well, he said that, that um, Jim was amazing <laughs> because he was, it was amazing because of Jim's unaltered belief that he wouldn't be afraid to face anything. And he said that there was nothing he couldn't meet. He'd you know, been preparing since childhood, expecting the worst, re- rehearsing his best. Um, he was confident that on the square on the square mind, there was nothing he couldn't meet. And he'd been pre- preparing for all the difficulties that can beset, beset one on land and water. And then um, Marlowe says, he must have had a most exalted existence. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> so, 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 so then, but then as he's talking, then um, Marlowe does say he's kind of is trying to kind of say something maybe um, I don't know, just to kind of break up a little bit for, make a, sound a little bit nice to, to Jim. He says, because Jim is, is, you know, talking about, you know, the, the difficulty. And, he's, and Marlo says, it is always the unexpected that happens, I said in, in a propitiatory tone. My obtuseness provoked him into contempt, contemptuous pshaw. And he, what he meant was, that the unexpected, you know, wouldn't touch him. It was something even worse than that. It was somehow, it was somehow that he was just betrayed by everything, almost like betrayed by the universe. You know, it's just like it was like everything had betrayed him. The waters, the firmament, you know, all these different things. So he'd been tricked in that sort of high-minded resignation, which prevented him from lifting as much as his little finger. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of like his fatal flaw um, yeah. that he he thought that he could he could do everything, but then he he didn't. Right. I, I think yeah. that what uh, what really is clear here is that that Jim thought he was amazing, mm-hmm. and so right. so it's not that Marlowe is. Nec- I, I think last time we said that Marlowe was mm-hmm. assessing it, 
But uh, getting ready for the program today, I thought, you know, it's Jim that thinks he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, then if if you really look at it, it's what what you just said there. I think is it, it shows that Jim really did not know himself. I mean, Jim Jim's lived his whole life in his imagination, and and he's he's the one that that thinks he's great, and so so obviously. Um, you know, it's, it's, he's not prepared for the unexpected because he just thinks he can handle everything. And I, I think that's what Marlo, what Marlo makes him so mad. He says those un, unexpected things happen. And, uh, um, you know, that really, when, when Marlo said that, it really kind of ticked Jim off. He didn't, he didn't want to hear that. He's like, well, I'm, you know, hey, I, I've been thinking about this all my life and I can, I can handle this adventure and handle that adventure and, and uh, do that if you just... Uh, if we just go over, um, you know, to the next page, it's it's just really clear that that he wasn't ready. For, or in, maybe it's the next couple pages, because you know, you know, obviously what happens there is that you know the ship isn't sinking, but then everybody notices, you know, what's coming up behind him. It's the squall. There's a black squall. It's like. <laughs> Here, here, Jim. I mean, if if we go back to the last program, you know that Jim was like, it's like he's totally locked because of his imagination. He sees, you know, all the, you know, he sees what seven ships, eight hundred pilgrims, or eight hundred people. You know, he's he's just locked, and then, you know, he's still working in his mind how to get the boats down, but he's not even looking behind him to see the squall is coming. And that could be... That's even worse. I mean, that's it's, even worse. Yes, it's like one thing after another. It's worse and worse and worse, yes. It's like mm-hmm. it's like your engine blows and then your tires blow. Yes. <laughs> and then you get wrecked from behind mm-hmm. by a truck, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, uh, and anyway, so go ahead. I'll, I'll just let you go ahead and continue. Well, just at the bottom of page 72, it says that um, it's something talking about... And you must remember he was a finished artist, okay? It's like, mm-hmm. like he's an artist... In that peculiar way, he was a gifted poor devil with a faculty of swift and forestalling vision. So, in other words, he really was—he thought so clearly about everything. The sights it showed him had turned him into cold stone, from the soles of his feet to the nape of his neck. And, but there was a hot dance of thoughts in his head, a dance of lame, blind, mute thoughts, a whirl of awful cripples. So, so, and then it says, didn't I tell you he confessed himself before me as though I had the power to bind and to loose? Yes. In other words, he, he, he was looking for, um, what, what's the word, absolution? Absolutely, yes. yes. You weren't Catholic. I wasn't Catholic, no. I was, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we had to get absolution at least once a week. For little Catholic boys, it could have been three times a week, mm-hmm. you know, so, because we were all bad. <laughs> So, so, um, but then it's interesting. A little bit later, Marlo says himself, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, it really did look bad. And he says later on, on page seventy-three, frankly, had I been there, I would not have given as much as a counterfeit farthing for the ship's chance to keep above water to the end of each successive second. But then and, here, but here's the clincher. And still, and still, she floated. She, yes. <laughs> so that's that's key to if you if you don't know the story and what happens, still she floated. Right. So. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to. Uh, of course, anybody can read 
you know, spark notes or whatever. They yeah, can so you jump can read ahead. So, whatever. So, yeah, so right. anyway, yeah. But but anyway, I, I do think, you know, Barlow just has a good way of of building suspense and all that. Mm-hmm. But but the, the the thing is, we are getting. It's like we're getting two things now. We're getting a deeper insight to Jim, but then we're also getting a deeper insight to what's happening. And so, so it, it, it is interesting to me, uh, being a writer myself, you know, that to, to see the craft behind what Conrad is doing with his book, because he holds us back. He won't give us everything. And then all of a sudden he'll dump a bunch at you, which really makes you have to, to really read it, you know, and really, really analyze it. And of course, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, He's going to be talking, you know, as we go through this, this, uh, he's going to be talking more about what goes inside of a man. And, and uh, you know, even uh, I, I think even Melville, there, there's some similar statements that he makes. He talks about the immensity of the sea. Herman Melville talks about the immensity of the sea, and when, when uh, you know, the, the, uh, the little cabin boy gets tossed out and he's on the sea overnight, it's like he's alone in the universe. And he even brings this up as we, and we'll get to this as we go through this, but it's like, you know, here's like the, the Patna, it's like this, this ship, but it's in the middle of all this immensity and all these things are happening that really Jim can't control. But he thinks he can. He can't control the squall, and and it's like he's not even aware of it because he's so focused. I mean, and really, it's a good part of Jim. He's so focused on figuring out how to get eight hundred people in seven boats that he doesn't look behind him. He's not aware of what's coming, and so so uh, again, I think that's where Marlowe, you know, when he brings this up, he says, "Well, there's going to be unexpected things," and Jim. That he doesn't like that. He's not prepared for that. Yeah, he he acts like he was prepared for unexpected, but he obviously wasn't. He's not. No, he's not. All right. So, so let's go ahead and. and uh, okay. There was one more thing. A couple more things. It has to do with really contrasting with with Jim. Are the the two Malay seamen? Okay. And mm-hmm. because they is a contrast there because they remain holding the wheel. You know, they they actually showed true bravery and duty without any fanfare you know there's no glory they were just doing their job whereas jim you know had he wanted glory in his head but he didn't he didn't do do what he he wanted to stay with the ship but you know like we'll talk about later but he didn't really do anything whereas the the two malay seamen just go about doing their job so he brings that up more than once there's a contrast there right jim keeps looking at Mm -hmm. them right and and Mm -hmm. in, in some ways I, I think it also shows the difference between, you know, the skipper. I mean, there is some, I, I don't know how to say this, there's some differences in, the, you know, the, the skipper's German than mm-hmm. the engineers are, you know, they're different nationalities. Then mm-hmm. you have the Malay, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have Jim, who's the British. Mm-hmm. You know, so Jim, <laughs> Jim wants to do something, but he's just frozen. You know, because his mind is so vivid, he's he's imagining all these things that haven't happened yet. Not one pilgrim has died. You know, even the only the only pilgrim problem he came up with is that the young boy was sick and needed water. I mean, that's that's what's going on. And so so, but but here you have the Malay. They obviously don't care about whether they're going to die or not. 
But they they may not know everything either. They may not know everything, and they did say something like that. They just they believe that the that the um, they call them the, the whites, you know, who were in charge. Um, you know, if they left the boat, they had a reason to, you know. So they, in other words, basically they didn't worry about what the, the that they were doing. They were just doing their job. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the boat wasn't sinking yet. Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was not necessarily straight in the water, but um, you know, it wasn't sinking yet. Okay. So I think that's good to bring that out. So um, yeah, th- that's it. That th- th- that page seventy four. That's a long, long page, and uh, it's one of those. It's one of those where you have, you know, three quarters of the page is, is one sentence. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and so, so anyway, um, uh, it, I, I think if you just skip to the bottom of that page, there's a little quote there. It says, so these two Laskers stuck to the helm of that ship without steerage way, where death would have found them if such had been their destiny. The Weiss did not give them half a glance, had probably forgotten their existence. Assuredly, Jim did not remember it. He remembered he could do nothing. He could do nothing. Now he was alone. There was nothing to do but sink with the ship. No use of making a disturbance about it was there. He waited upstanding without a sound, stiffened in the idea of some sort of heroic discretion. The first engineer ran cautiously across the bridge to tug at his sleeve. Come and help come and help. He ran back to the boat on the points of his toes and returned directly to where, where he had his sleeve, begging and cursing at the same time. And uh, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was not going to help. He says, I believe, this is what now Jim is talking to Marley, he says, I believe he would have kissed my hand, said Jim savagely. And next moment he starts foaming and whispering in my face, if I had the time, I would like to crack your skull for you. I pushed him away. Suddenly, he t- he caught hold of me around the neck. I hit him. I hit him without looking. Won't you save your own life, you infernal coward? <laughs> he sobs. Coward. He called me an infernal coward, and he starts laughing. <laughs> like he's he's like crazy there. It's like a crazy laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because Marlo even even says. Uh, he, you mustn't laugh like this, you know, because all of a sudden people all around them are looking, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. like, what? You know. Yeah. They're still, <laughs> at this point, you know, they're still at, they're still at the nice restaurant, even mm-hmm. though they're outside. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people milling around. Mm-hmm. Eventually it gets to the point where it's just the two of them, mm-hmm. you know, and it's pitch. I think that, I think at one scene he says, there's a, there was the, one of the, I guess that, you know, table cleaner or you know a waiter in a white coat but there's just the three of them so so anyway that was really insulted jim that he would be called a coward yes because that's that is the big thing for him he, <laughs> he, he thinks that by going down with the ship i guess he's he's going he's yeah. he's going to be brave yes yeah. that's the one thing he doesn't want to be is because he doesn't want to be called a coward no yeah no so anyway uh it it, it is uh, uh i don't know I, I think that's probably about all we need to to talk about chapter eight, what do you think? I think we can move on now. Chapter nine, I think, is is uh, is absolutely opens up. <laughs> it opens up in an incredible way, and so uh, can I read this? Am I am I allowed? Okay. <laughs> my wife is very devoted to to my program, and I'm really happy about that. She loves reading. 
And uh, this is something we've done all of our lives anyway. Read books together and talk about it. So now we can share it with you. Page 76, chapter 9, it says, I was saying to myself, so so now Jim Jim is kind of coming back. He was kind of lost it there for a while, even with, with Marlo, because when Marlo, you know, really perturbed him. He was really getting angry. He kind of lost his, his train of thoughts. Now he's coming back to himself. He says, I was saying to myself, sink, curse you, sink. Then were the words which he began again. He wanted it over. He was severely left alone, and he formulated in his head this address to the ship in a tone of imprecation. Uh, while at the same time he enjoyed the privilege of witnessing scenes, as far as I can judge, of low comedy, and they were still at that bolt. The skipper was ordering, get under and try the lift. So, so essentially what he begins to to uh, say is he, he, he wanted it to be over. He wanted the boat to go ahead and sink. Why doesn't it just sink? He was going to stay with the boat. And then, then he looks across the ship and he sees the skipper and the two engineers. And I think there was a third engineer as well. Um, they're trying to get this boat down and they can't get it down because... They are so desperately afraid it's going to sink and they're going to be on it. They're not thinking about 800 passengers. You know, they're, they're, they just want to get one one uh, boat down. And he, he, what's funny is, you know, he's frozen because he's afraid of all these things in his imagination. But then he sees what their skipper and and the other two guys are doing is like comedy because they're crazy. You know. First of all, the the German, the, the skipper, can hardly speak English. The other two are, you know, different nationalities. Uh, not none of them are really strong, and they need, they actually need Jim to help them. And so he says, uh, he said it, it was low comedy. They were still at the bolt. The skipper was ordering, get under and try to lift. And the others naturally shirked. He said, you understand that to be squeezed flat under the keel of a boat wasn't a desirable position to be caught if the ship went down suddenly. So so here's this comedy, but yet Jim in his imagination knows what they're dealing with because if they get caught under the boat and it falls, well, they're kind of squashed. And so so they would still go down with the ship. <laughs> you know, so, so he says, uh, 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 anyway... Why don't you, you, the strongest wine, the Lord engineer, I'm not going to say that, he swears at him. I am too thick, sputtered the skipper in despair. It was funny. I mean, remember, the skipper is really fat, and the engineer is trying to get him to get under the boat. And he says, I'm not getting under that boat, you know. But, but notice that Jim's comment then, it was funny enough to make angels weep. And so uh, that's the title of this this podcast, <laughs> Enough to Make Angels Weep. So So Jim... Jim sees a comedy. He says that they stood idle for a moment, and suddenly the chief engineer rushed again at Jim. Come and help, man. It almost sounds like Joe Biden. <laughs> Come on, man. He's Come and help, man. Are you mad to throw your only chance away? Come and help, man. Man, look there. Look. And at last, Jim looked astern, and the other pointed with maniacal insistence. He saw a silent black squall which had eaten up already one-third of the sky. You know how these squalls come up and they're about, the t- about that time of year? First you see a darkening of the horizon. No more than a cloud rises opaque like a wall. A straight edge of vapor lined with sickly whitish gleams flies up from the southwest, swallowing up the stars in whole constellations. Its shadow flies over the waters and confounds sea and sky into one abyss of obscurity. 
and all is still. No thunder, no wind, no sound, not a flicker of lightning. Then, in the tenebrous immensity of a vivid arch appears a swell or two, like undulations of the very darkness run past, and suddenly wind and rain strike together with a peculiar impetuosity as if they had burst through something solid. Such a cloud had come up while the men weren't looking. They had just noticed it, and were perfectly justified in surmising that if in absolute stillness there was some chance for the ship to keep afloat a few minutes longer. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so they're saying, all right, the ship is sinking, which is, it isn't. Yeah, it says that, that, that they had maybe were justified, and maybe if it was really still, there was some chance for the stip, ship to keep afloat. But the least disturbance of the sea would make an end of her instantly. So, so obviously the squall means there's, there's totally no chance. <laughs> yes, yeah. but, mm-hmm. but as we know, when you read it, the squall isn't as bad as they think. It's, right. it's just like mm-hmm. a bad rain mm-hmm. anyway. But, but it, this is, this goes to show, and I, I think he, this is where Conrad's genius come in, comes in, where he's talking about how you know, Jim felt like he could handle everything, and, and he could even handle the unexpected. Well... That was like a foreshadowing that something unexpected is going to come, like the big squall. So, uh, so he had to think that all up. And uh, uh, anybody that that writes a novel as good as this one, you have to realize it takes weeks to organize it, and uh, then it takes months to write it. So, uh, so anyway, but it's it is really good good there. So uh, there's one line there. It says, uh, "Hence these new capers of their fright." These new antics in which they displayed their extreme aversion to die. <laughs> so, so anyway, and and then if if you uh, if you're really following it carefully, readers out there, um, Jim is remembering all this now with Marlo. Uh, you know, after they've had dinner, they're outside, they've had some alcohol on the table, and then. Yeah, Jim really gets angry here now. He says, it was black, black, pursued Jim with moody steadiness. It had sneaked upon us from behind. The infernal thing. I suppose there had been at the back of my head some hope yet. I don't know. But that was all over anyhow. It maddened me to see myself caught like this. I was angry as though I had been trapped. I was trapped. The night was hot too. I remember not a breath of air. So... Big question is, was he ready for the unexpected? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and it just made him mad. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of going into, well, full throttle, let's work through this, what's he do? Mm-hmm. He just gets angry. And what does that do? Makes him more locked up. And so, uh, of course, you know, I'm reading that book right now on mental toughness. And I'm reading another book, How to Rethink, How to, how to Not Just Keep Your and so. Two of these are really helping me change the way I think. So hopefully it's going to work well for you, dear. <laughs> so so any, anyway, Jim is just really, really crazy now. He said he remembered so well that gasping in the chair, he seemed to sweat and choke before my eyes. So he's reliving this. Here at, you know, after, at their after-dinner drinks, he's reliving this. No doubt it maddened him. It knocked him over afresh in a manner speaking. But it made him also remember that important purpose of which he, which had sent him rushing on the bridge, only to slip clean out of his mind. And so he's, he's, Marlowe knows he he lost it. He lost his mind. 
He had intended to cut the lifeboats clear of the ship. He whipped out his knife, went to work slashing as though he had seen nothing, had heard nothing, had known of one of no one on board. They thought him hopelessly wrong-headed and crazy, but dared not protest noisily against this useless thought loss of time. When he had done, he returned to the very same spot from which he had started. The chief was there, ready with a clutch at him to whisper close to his head, scathingly, as though he wanted to bite his ear, you silly fool, do you think you'll get the ghost of a show when all of that, that lot of brutes is in the water? Why, they will, be, they will batter your head for you from these boats. And so, so really, I guess to be fair to Jim, he wasn't the only one that had this imagination. These guys were all so afraid. And they said, look, you're going to get battered. Um, it says he wrung his hands, ignored at, Jim's, uh, ignored at Jim's elbow. The skipper kept up a nervous shuffle in one place and mumbled, hammer, hammer, get a hammer. And so, uh, so the little engineer and uh, uh, whispered like, uh, whimpered like a child because he's the one with the broken arm. And so he goes and gets the, you know, gets the hammer. But, uh, but look what happens to Jim. You know, if you get down the middle of page 78, it said that he, he uh, went back to that same spot. He's like he was glued there. His feet were glued to that remote spot, and his eyes to their indistinct group bowed together and swayed strangely in their common torment of fear. A hand lamp lashed to a, um, a stanchion above the little table rigged upon the bridge. The Patna had no chart rooms amidships. Threw a light on their laboring shoulders, on their ached and bobbing backs. They pushed at the boat. Now, now this is again... It's like the comedy continues. <laughs> this is like the farce continuing. They pushed at the bow of the boat. They pushed out into the night. They pushed and would no more look back at him. They had given him up as if he had been too far, too hopelessly separated from themselves to be worth an appealing word, a glance, or a sign. They had no leisure to look back upon his passive heroism, to feel the sting of his abstention. The boat was heavy. They pushed at the bow with no breath to spare for an encouraging word, for the turmoil of terror that had, had scattered their self-control like chaff before the wind converted their desperate exertions into a bit of fooling. Upon my word, fit for knock, down, knock uh, about clowns in a farce. <laughs> so <laughs> so can, you, can you imagine this? I mean, Conrad really does try to give us a good view of what this scene looked like. They were like just totally crazy running around in circles. They pushed with their hands, with their heads. They pushed for dear life with all the weight of their bodies. They pushed with all the might of their souls. Only no sooner had they succeeded in canting the stem clear of the dabba that they would, uh, that they would leave off like one man and start a wild scramble into her. As a natural consequence, the boat would swing in abruptly, driving them back, helpless and jostling each other. They would stand nonplussed for a while, exchanging in fierce whispers all the infamous names they could call to mind and go at it again. So can you see they're trying to push the boat off, and it comes back as swinging and hitting them. It says, uh, uh, three times this occurred. He described it to me with morose thoughtfulness. He hadn't, a thought, he had, hadn't lost a single movement of the comic business. I loathed them. I hated them. I had to look at all that, he said, without emphasis, turning upon me, somberly watching, watchful glance. Was ever there anyone so shamefully tried? So, so here, Jim sees this, this disaster coming, but then he's facing this comedy, and it just seems really odd. 
I mean, it's just it just really has him out of joint here. Uh, but but look how he's still he's really still affected. Well, yeah, and he's he's he wants Marlowe to know that he wanted to keep his distance. Because there was nothing in common between him and these men. Yeah, he was he was better than them. He was he was more heroic. He was going to go down with the ship. He was not going to try to escape. Right. And <laughs> at least that's what he thought. That's what he thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he really did think he was better mm-hmm. than them. And even even Marlowe has said to us how many times in the book, he's one of us. He's right. not one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see that there's a change coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So it says, uh, but, but, but at the dinner, he said, he took his head in his hands for a moment like a man driven to distraction by some unspeakable outrage. There were things he could not explain to the court, not even to me, but I would have been, been little fitted for the reception of his confidences had I not been able at times to understand the pauses between the words. Now that's pretty, that's again, that's Con, Conrad's writing. So he could read him between words. I mean, he, when he paused, he said, in, his, in this assault upon his fortitude, there was the jeering intention of a spiteful and vile vengeance. There was an element of burlesque in his ordeal, a degradation of funny grimaces in the approach of death or dishonor. And so, so uh, anyway, um, I, I think, again, that's, that's, uh, that's great writing. All right, so uh, um, I, I think we'd agree... That uh, and I think we said this before that Jim's vivid imagination was his major flaw. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, he wasn't as prepared as he thought he was. All right, we're out of time for today's program. So that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will continue to discuss Marlowe and Jim's dinner discussion. But there's a big revelation ahead, so make sure you pay attention. Now, you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you may also be able to find it in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. I know libraries are opening up again. So please write me any comments. You may have the JBL at PCOG.org. That's JBL at PCOG.org. Excuse me. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And you can also search under my name, by the way. And so uh, uh, we have been working hard at increasing the activity on Facebook. We're getting some new posts ready with some new uh, illustrations. So uh, keep your eyes on that place. Or I should say keep your eyes on my uh, Facebook page. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.